Praise God. It's good to see you this morning. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be in chapter number 6, in verse number 25 through 30. Let's go ahead and pray before we begin. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, for your presence that's in this place, my God. We sense it. We sense it, my God. And more than sense it, my God, we take this opportunity to acknowledge it and to glorify it, my God. My God, we thank you, my God. We just yield ourselves to thee, my God, this your tangible presence that's here right now, Lord. Father God, we thank you. Have your way. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Can you just lay your hands upon your own heart and just say, Lord, have your way. Yeah, yeah, have your way. Have your way, my God. We, we give you more of ourselves, my God. We yield more of ourselves to you. So, we, my God, to create room, my God, for you to fill us, my God, even more and more, my God, with my God, your presence and your purpose and your will, my God. We yield our minds so we can have your mind, my God. We yield our thoughts so we can have your thoughts. <laughs> my God, we yield our will so we can have yours manifested in our lives, my God. Lord Jesus, have your way. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. Lord God, have your way, my God. My God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus. My God, we thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you. My God, we just pray, my God, in these next few moments, Lord, that you would reveal yourself in a fresh, my God, new way. My God, we, we, we don't, my God, we help us not to become so over familiar with your presence, my God. My God, that we, my God, that we, that we lose reverence and we lose hunger. We lose our sense of all of who you are, my God. My God, we thank you for this. We don't take the access that we have to stand in your presence for granted. Lord, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this moment. We thank you, my God, for the access that we have through the blood of Jesus, my God, to come into your very presence, O oh God, and to hear your very heart. What an awesome privilege. Lord, what an awesome privilege. Father God, I pray right now, as I open up my mouth, though it's my mouth moving, let it be your spirit speaking. Speak, my God, into every heart, into every life, my God. My God, I thank you that even though, my God, I speak to the crowd, Lord God, you speak to every individual heart. You know what they need to hear. You know what they're going through, my God. You, you know, you know the, the pain, my God. The, you know the hunger, my God. You know, my God, with the, the needs, my God, that are represented in this place. I pray that, Father, you send your word into those places. Father God, we thank you, my God. We commit this moment to you now. Have your way. And be grateful for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter number 
20, uh, chapter number 6, rather, in verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, neither they neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I just want us to revisit just where Jesus began the conversation in verse 25. He said, do not worry about your life. Period. Isn't that awesome? Do not worry about your life. Jesus is audacious, right? How can you tell me not to worry? <laughs> he said, don't worry about your life. And, and I don't know, I, I was really trying to search and study to understand the tone in which he said this in, but I have a sense that maybe... Uh, uh, the way that it's framed, though, I have to have a sense that maybe it's not a suggestion. That maybe it's a command. That he says, do not worry about your life. You know, when we think about the subject of worry, uh, you know, there are certain subjects that maybe sometimes it's really, it's really uh, 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 surgically or, or it, it's really sometimes precise and cut, uh, tailor-made rather to some of our lives. And sometimes you choose certain subjects where you are at the risk of speaking to some people, but maybe not speaking to all people. But I don't have that problem with this sermon. <laughs> that, that when we talk about the subject of worry, it is certainly the most relatable subject you can probably choose in Scripture. But... At the same time, it is so familiar that we may not tend to think of it as significant, right? Because it's, we we're so familiar with it in our lives, we, we may not tend to think of it as a significant subject. But consider this, if you would, that, when, that from the moment when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John to the point that he was crucified, Jesus' earthly ministry lasted approximately three and a half years. And so you have to know that when Jesus began his ministry, he was really aware that he was on the clock. And even in scripture, he, he, he knows what's coming. He told his disciples, he said, listen, something's coming. I'm going to be handed over. You know, he told them he knew what was coming. He knew his ministry was on the clock. Therefore, I have to believe that every time Jesus taught, he chose the, that, that he chose the subject and the substance of his words really carefully. Because he, did not, he knew he did not have time to wander into subjects that were not of consequence. 
And so if Jesus chose to dedicate time to the subject, it should tell us that it, when it comes to our ability to follow, to follow and to walk in his will, in the will of God for our lives, it must be a subject of significance and consequence. Otherwise, Jesus would not have talked about it. As I was preparing this message, I, I, I was looking at the window thinking and I, I was looking out uh, to, to our vegetable garden in the back and I noticed a place where we had planted some seeds uh, somewhat recently and where I thought I should have sown vegetables, I seen vegetables, I saw a bunch of weeds. And uh, <laughs> uprooting uh, weeds is important because uh, if you know a little bit about gardening, you know that uh, weeds are greedy plants. Meaning they, they, they suck so much nutrients out of the soil, but they don't offer any fruit in return. And if you leave them in the garden, they will begin to steal all the nutrients from the seeds that you have there planted. And as I looked at those weeds, I thought to myself, that is what worry is. It's worry is the weeds in the garden of our soul. Worry sucks up all of your time, your passion, your energy, your creativity, all it, it sucks and for all of the real estate that it consumes in your heart and mind, it does not offer any fruit. Jesus, Jesus said, Who of you by worrying can add a cubit to his stature? He's saying that nothing you after worrying will not produce anything. Worry is an unproductive weed in the garden of your time and life and while it does not add anything to your life make no mistake that it is making withdrawals it's stealing your strength your time from the seeds of God's purpose and promise in your life but he, here's the thing about this uh, I didn't sow those weeds in fact I didn't even isn't it funny how you, you don't have to do much to get weeds in the ground. <laughs> that, 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 that as much as you have to, to take care and cultivate the ground and water the ground and fertilize the ground to get, get fruit, you don't have to do anything to get weeds. I didn't sow the weeds. They just showed up. And the same thing goes for worry in our life. You, you don't have to sow worry for worry to show up in your life. Life will supply you with an ample amount of reason and opportunity to worry. Life is very generous in this area. Life will keep bringing, it will keep bringing you demands that you can't satisfy. And in fact, uh, in fact, have you ever, have you ever found yourself, you're, you're talking to somebody and someone's giving you a testimony about what's happening in their life and you begin to envy uh, their life because they happen to be full in the area where you're empty only to find out later that they were envying you because they were empty in the place you were full and because he, here's the thing so much of our hearts and thoughts are consumed with our inadequacies 
In fact, that, that's what the enemy did in, in, in the garden in Genesis. The Bible says that, I mean, Adam and Eve, they had a whole garden. And if you look, if you look at the scripture, it says something there that always says that in the garden, God planted every type of tree with every type of fruit in it. I mean, it was, it was lavish. They, they had a whole garden they could draw life from. But the enemy, but even though you have all of this life around you, all of this garden full of God's blessing in your life, the enemy will take you to that one tree. That one tree and tell you this is what's missing in your life. This, if you could only have the fruit from that tree, if you could only reach that fruit, that's the, that's the only thing that's keeping your life from being all it could be. That's the only thing that's keeping you from being fulfilled. If you, could, if you could just reach that one fruit from that one tree, then your life will be complete. Then you can be everything God called you to be. Then you can be like God and you can, are you here? He will take you to that one area. And he said, that's, that's what's keeping you from growing. That's what's holding you back. And then, so you start reaching. But for all of your reaching, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. Just when you think you got one thing, life is going to show you something else that you think you need. Something else. It will show you something else that you lack. It will never satisfy you. Have you thought it will never? It is a non-ending it feels like a hole that will never be filled and they reach for the fruit the Bible says and the Bible says that that their, then their eyes became open and they knew they were naked in other words their eyes just came open to more inadequacies <laughs> now now they, they, they're naked. Now, now, now they have to reach for the fig leaves. And, and, and maybe if I get enough fig leaves together, maybe if I layer them just right, maybe if I get these credentials and that, maybe, maybe if I can get, get enough. And then they put they sold all the leaves and it wasn't enough. The Bible says they still hid when God came. <laughs> and that's the nature of the enemy's voice in our life. He wants to shift your attention from God's blessing in your life to your inadequacies. And if you're trying to take order, if you're trying to take inventory of your inadequacies, let me tell you, so it's a non-ending list. Like you, you, you will find plenty of inadequacy if you want to find it. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? You will always find, remember when God came to Moses and God he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh? There's almost a whole chapter of Moses uh, going through the list of reasons why he could not go to Pharaoh. He said, I don't know your name. What is your, how, how should I describe you? And then God tells him. And then he says, well, what about this? And, and if they ask me this, I don't, I don't have a reply for that. He, so God, God spoke. He said, well, now I don't know how to speak. I, can't, I, I don't know how to speak. I mean, it just was non-ending. And so the Bible says God, it got so frustrated. God, the Bible says God's anger was kindled. <laughs> against Moses and God said who made the deaf the mute who made who made the hearing and the speaking 
Isn't it I? He said, he said, go, I will teach you what to say. In other words, God was telling him, I'm not calling you based upon your inadequacies or adequacies. I'm calling you based upon my grace. I'm calling you based on who I am in your life. I'm calling you not because you're all sufficient. I'm not calling you because you are adequate. I'm calling you because I am adequate. And the question is, do we trust that God's grace is sufficient for us? Because if you look at yourself to qualify what God has called you to be, you're looking in the wrong direction. Because all you're going to see is how naked you really are. Do you trust that God's grace is sufficient for you? Because until we do, our distrust in God's sufficiency and our preoccupation with our insufficiency will keep us reaching for things that rob us of everything. Isn't it interesting that they, they, they were reaching to gain something, but they were losing everything in the process? And I wonder sometimes if the enemy just has us on an endless rat race chasing things that add nothing to our lives while we're missing the things of consequence. Robbing us of our peace, robbing us of our joy, robbing us of our passion. And, and it just has us feeling, feeling more naked in the process. And this is why Jesus began by saying, do not worry about your life. Because worry is an echo of the serpent's voice that keeps whispering the deceit of insufficiency into man's soul. And it is the deceit of insufficiency that will begin to produce in us perverted appetites for things that pervert who God has called us to be. Can we go a little bit deeper? I want us to look at verse 26 of Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value, of more value than they? Jesus is asking do you know your value? In other words, Jesus is telling us that the reason we worry is because we don't have a right appraisal of our value before God. The reason we don't trust God is because we don't, we're not confident in our value before God. And you know, we are so accustomed, we are so accustomed to interacting with the world's value system where our value is determined by our performance and the better we perform, the more we're valued. That is the world we begin to interact with day in and day out. But the, here is the problem. The Bible says even though you're, you're in the world, you are not of the world. That when you asked Jesus to be Lord, he took you up on your offer. 
And in Colossians 1.13 tells us that when we accepted Christ, we were, trans- we were transferred. You, you know, at least in, in a workplace, you were transferred out. You were transferred, the Bible says, out of darkness and into the kingdom of his son. And how many of you know that when you shift kingdoms, you shift laws, you shift values, it's a different place. You cannot, if you try to drive in the United States the way you drive here, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Different value system. Here, we, 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 we challenge the laws of physics. We will turn three lanes into 12. Bless the Lord. <laughs> you know, when Jesus says, can a camel go through the eye of a needle? We, we made it happen. <laughs> but if you go there and try to... Dr- no. People are looking at are you out of your mind? <laughs> we switch value systems. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And... God's value system does not weigh you on the scales of performance, but it weighs you according to his own grace and love. (laughs) And you will be frustrated trying to live your life in performance in God's purpose because the two are incompatible. The problem is here, now here's the thing, I know what you're thinking, but let me, let me suggest to you this. We love the idea of that. We love the idea of unconditional love. We love the idea of living by grace. We like the idea, but we have a hard time putting our trust in it. It is, it is easier for us to expect or receive if we can somehow put ourselves in a position where we feel that we are owed it. As you think about that for a moment. It's easier. God, didn't I do this for you? Remember, even Jesus said, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? In? We, it's easier for us to have a level of expectation if we can get, if we can feel we're owed it. We are uncomfortable with the vulnerability that comes of holding out your hands for something and relying upon goodness. Because we are living a life, we live in a world of betrayal where, 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 where you can't trust. So, so we have a hard time putting our trust in God's goodness. Okay? Which means, this is why we still want to perform our way to acceptance. Perform our way to favor. We want to earn our place and value. But at the same time, we are not confident in our performance. And because we're not confident in our performance, we're not insecure in our value. And we're stuck in this vicious circle. We want to perform, but we can't. Even Paul says this, that what I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I'm trying to perform, but it's not working out the way I want it to work out. And so Jesus says something to answer our performance mentality. He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store in barns. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't spin. 
or labor, but your heavenly Father takes care of them. How much more valuable are you than they? In other words, God is trying to tell you, you're not going to be able to perform your way to my favor. You're not going to be able to perform your way to my goodness. In fact, you're going to have to do something much harder than that. And that is trust in my love. Jesus said, this is the work of God to believe in the one whom he sent. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? It sounds simple, but with our hearts, that is, that is a work all by itself. Sometimes the hardest thing to get us to do is to trust. I told you this a, a few weeks ago. The gospel is simple. That those volumes of books are saying the same, asking you the same thing over and over. Trust me. That's the fundamental message of all scripture. God says, trust me. The reason it is so voluminous is not because it's complicated. It's because our hearts are complicated. And to get us to trust is God's mission. So you don't perform your way into what God has for you. You don't perform your way in, you trust, you, but rather you trust your way in. To trust in the performance of God's love through Christ. To trust in Christ's performance upon the cross. And it is that, it is that performance that qualifies you. It is that performance that validates you. When you truly begin to trust who he is, that's the revelation that's going to unlock who you are. But we are so uh, used to living and relating to a transactional world that we don't know how to relate to a relational God. And this is something that Jesus highlights back in the parable of the prodigal son. In the parable of the, uh, in the, parable of the younger son, how many of you know, know the story of the prodigal son? We should, we should all know it. If you've ever been to any sort of Bible school, you know the story of the prodigal son. After demanding from his father his share of, the, of his father's inheritance, he goes out and he... He goes out of his father's house. He ends up blowing all of the inheritance on some craziness. And, and, and after squandering everything his father had given to him, he hits rock bottom. And, and in the scripture, Jesus says something that, that, that it connects to Jews, but, we, but it may not really, we may not fully understand it. He says that he hired himself out to a, to a foreigner which is one disgrace for them, if you, if you know the law, of, the, 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 the law of Moses. And then the Bible says that they hired him to take care of the pigs, which was an unclean animal. <laughs> I mean, in other words, Jesus is trying to convey to the Jews just how rock bottom things got. And then he says on top of it all, he began to crave the food the, the pigs were eating. And, 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 and in the Jews' mind, it was like, oh my, like, it was nuts. 
And so, and so he, he decides there's nothing to do but to humble himself and return to his father's house. But along the way, he's plotting his transaction with his father in his head. He's saying, okay, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in and look for an entry-level position in the house. I'm going to ask to be a servant. I'll say, I messed up. Let me come in as a servant. And I know if I can just get there in the house, be there as a servant, I'll show myself faithful and work my way back up and, and earn my position back up and earn the favor back up again. And he's plotting all this transaction in his mind. Okay? Why? Everything that he just came out of taught him that life is transactional. So he's plotting the transaction with the father. And the Bible says that as he neared the house, his father saw him. And the Bible says when the father saw him a long way off, the father began to run to him. While he's plotting his transaction, the father is running to him. And the Bible says the father embraces him. And I'm sure in his mind, he's confused. He doesn't understand what's happening. Because what the son fails to recognize is that his value, his position, his status is not based on performance, but it's based on relationship. And you can't get transactional with a relational God. <laughs> Don't get transactional with a relational God. And he's confused. And it's, and it's funny. It's almost like he caught himself and he's trying to go back to the transaction. And the Bible says, he says, Father, I, I, I've sinned against heaven. I, I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. Just make me one of your hired Hired, uh, so he's going back to the transaction that he plotted. And the Bible says that the father didn't even acknowledge what he said. He said, he said, he called his servant and says, Come, bring me, bring me the best robe that's inside the house. Come, he said, put, put, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Sandals because servants did not wear sandals. He was saying, no, 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 no. Don't you get transactional with me. Who you are, your position in this house, your calling in life, you are dead. It's not a, you don't get the trans, you don't get to my favor. You don't get to my goodness being transactional. This is relational. Are you hearing what I'm saying to him? Hallelujah. 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 Tell your neighbors that don't get transactional. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can't perform your way out of my favor and you can't perform your way back in. God's favor is not transactional. His goodness is not transactional. It's relational. Hallelujah. The father, the father, <laughs> hallelujah. The father didn't just say, bring a robe. He said, bring the best robe. Bring the best robe. <laughs> Hallelujah. <sighs> this is not transaction. If it was transactional, and I don't have time to go into it, robes are a thing of status in, in culture. 
you know, the Bible says the train of his robe fills the temple. It, it talks about the many victor, victories that the king had won. Robes are significant. So when he said bring the best robe, he, he, he was giving, he was, he said, I, if it was transactional and I was just being graceful, I would start you down here. I'll bring you a robe and you work your way up. You understand? Joseph's a robe. The reason he's, his, his brothers got so jealous, the robe was significant. It wasn't just a piece of clothing. He didn't just buy him. It meant something. That's why they wanted to kill him. So when the father says, bring him the best robe, this is not transactional at all. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If, I, if I'm gonna, Most of us, we would work the person up. That, that's not the way God interacts with us. That is not the value system. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Whew. He said, bring the best robe. While you're at your worst, I'm going to give my best. That's your God. That's what God did with Christ. Romans 5.8, it says, but he demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us hallelujah in other words when you when we were at our worst when i was at my worst god was giving his best in john 3:16 the bible says god so loved the world we know john 3:16 god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes him should not perish but have eternal life. We know it. But when God gave Christ, it was just, it was, it wasn't just, God wasn't just showing his love. He was showing how much he loved. God so loved. He so loved. In other words, he says, This is the extent of my love for you. This is the extent of how much you are valued to me. He so loved that he gave his only begotten son. In other words, when God when God was trying to find an object that could embody and exemplify and tell of our value before him, and he was trying to search for something that would capture how valuable you are. He looked in heaven. He looked at the gold and he said, that's, that's good, but that doesn't do it. Look at the silver and he says, no, that doesn't do it either. Looked at, looked at all the treasures, the pearls, and he said, no, 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 that doesn't do it. Looked at the angels, close, but doesn't do it. Then he looked at his son and he said, God so loved. <laughs> he said, I found what I'm looking for. I found the thing that will express how valuable. Does that sink in for you? That, that God said, you understand that God is the one who made this whole thing up. He could have, he could have established whatever value he wanted to establish for your salvation. He could have said, bring two chickens, two doves, and a goat, and that's it. Okay? 
but he's he's the one who set the value it wasn't just to save us from our sins that's what he that's what christ did but that's not necessarily why he said the re- the why is to show you how much he so loved <laughs> think about it he said he so loved the reason why the son came is he so loved the world didn't send a goat didn't send a sparrow he, he so loved he said this is how much I love you and so the Bible says it's not with perishable things such with such as silver or gold that we will redeem from the empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers but by the precious blood of Jesus incorruptible and unperishable. he said this I'm trying to show you how much you're worth. I'm trying to show you how valuable you are to me. Are you not more more value than they? If you only understood your value, you would not worry about your life. If you really understood the weight that I sent my son, to ransom you back. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can we, can we just give, give, give God 60 seconds and begin to thank him, begin to bless him? He's so loved. He's so loved. He's so loved. God. Hallelujah. You know, as I was thinking about the father's clothing, the prodigal son, it sort of took me back to Exodus, where the Bible, uh, Israel had just come out of Egypt. They just came out of 400 years of slavery. And and you, you can imagine what 400 years of being stripped of self-worth can do to you. <laughs> and they came out of 400 years of slavery. And God is trying to build, trying to show these people who they are after being 400 years of being told you are nothing. And so as he was setting up the priesthood, as he was getting ready to ordain the high priest, God told Moses to do something. He said, Moses, when you make their clothing, he said, I want you to make it out of fine linen. I want you to interweave interweave in the garment gold. And interweave gold into the fabric. I, I want you to make the colors of purple and blue, which is the colors of royalty. I said, and, and I want you to put this together. And in, 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 in Exodus, now I'll give you the chapter so you can read it at home. He said, it is, he says, to give them dignity and honor. I want to say it's Exodus 25, but he, he says, to give them dignity and honor. In other words, I want them to see themselves the way I see them. 
I want them to value themselves the way I value them. Can you imagine what these priests felt like when they saw themselves in the mirror? They forget not wearing something like that themselves. They have never seen another Jew, another Israelite dressed like that. Where they're alone, them wear something. Never in their wild day look themselves. And for the first time, when they look, th- look at themselves in the mirror, they see something of such value. But as it wasn't over only for the priests. The Bible says on the, that, that God said, make a, make a breast piece. And upon the breast piece, there were 12 jewels, gems. Different gems, diamonds and sapphires and all, just all these different types of gems. And, and God said, upon each gem, inscribe the name of the tribes of Israel. And, and so when, when the priests would come out and he would walk around and they would see what he was dressed in, they would not only see what, how valuable they were in the eyes of God, they saw how valuable them, they were personally because they would look at the breast piece and on the breast piece they would see their name written on it. And in God, it was God saying, this is how valuable you are to me. I, I, I know you went to Egypt and they told you were nothing, but I want to show you now who you really are. I want to show you now how valuable you are to me. Why is this all significant? It is because we are not without a high priest. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? That, that Christ, Hebrews shows us, is our high priest. And, and the Bible says that, that, that in, 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 in uh, let me give you the verse. We're told in Corinthians that he is a mirror, 1 Corinthians 3, that, that he is a mirror for us, that we are looking at Christ. Christ is not only reflecting how valuable Christ is to God, but he is our mirror about how he is the reflection, he is the emblem of how valuable we are before God. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? He is our mirror. And God was saying, this is how valuable you are to me. This is what you mean to me. This is how precious you are to me. That I was willing, that I was willing, that I was willing to send my son. That I was willing to put him on a cross. That I was willing to shed his blood. To show you how expensive you are. Do you not know how much of more value you are? Let's rise on our feet. Hallelujah. I want to stop here, but uh, I just want to read this. I'm not going to even preach it. I think it's a passage that preaches itself a bit. 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 9. says for in scripture it says see everybody say see look in the mirror (laughs) see I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him 
will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. I'm really trying not to preach this, but I, I, I want to just give you a, a nugget in because I just can't leave it alone. Because it says in, in earlier in verse 4, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Hey, this is just a reminder. Have you subscribed to our Telegram channel? Not only will you find important announcements, but also access to our daily devotionals, family devotionals, and much, much more. We also want to take this moment to thank you for your generosity and faithfulness throughout the years. Not only is your giving a fragrant and acceptable offering before God, but Paul in 2 Corinthians 9.12 describes it as an expression of ministry. And it is that very ministry that allows us to continue to put our hands to the plow together in the work of reaching people with the message of God's grace and love. You can give through four different avenues. You can stop by your nearest commercial bank or Braham Bank and deposit your offering into the account number on the screen. You can also take advantage of either bank's mobile banking apps. For those of you who have international major credit cards or debit cards, you can give online on our website, bezachurch.org. And you can always stop by our accounting office on the PK Building 5th floor, and they will be happy to serve you there. In this extraordinary and unusual season, we appreciate you going out of your way to give. Thank you. God bless you. Bemecharasham, and neger lastawsachu. Yebeza Telegram channelin join yadergu. በቴሌግራም የቤተክርስቲያን ማስተዋቂያ ብቻ ሳይሆን የለታዊ የእግዚአብሔር ቃል ጥናት የቤተሰብ ጥናት እና ሌሎች አጫጭር ነገሮችን ያገኛሉ። በዚህ መንፈሳዊነቱን በመመገብ ይጥቁ። በመጨረሻ ለእግዚአብሔር በታማኝነት እንደቃሉ አስራትና መባቹን የፍቅር ስጦታችሁን ስለምትሰጡ እግዚአብሔር ይባርካችሁ። ለእግዚአብሔር የምትሰጡት ስጦታችሁ በእግዚአብሔር ዘንድ እንደ መልካም ማዕዛ እንደሆነ ቃሉ ያስተምረናል። ይብቻ ሳይሆን ሁለተኛ ቆሮንጦስ ምዕራፍ 9 ቁጥር 12 ላይ እንደሚያስተምረን ለእግዚአብሔር የምናቀርበው አገልግሎታችንም ጭምር ነው። ይሄው አገልግሎታችሁ በእግዚአብሔር ያገልግሉት እርሻ ላይ አብልጠን እንድንዘረጋ ሰዎችንም በእግዚአብሔር የጸቃቃል እንድንደርስ የሚያደርገን አብረን የምንጠመድበት ያገልግሉት እድል ነው። ስትሰጡ ባራት መንገድ መስጠት ይችላልላችሁ። አንደኛ በቅርባችሁ ወደሚገኝ የኢትዮጵያ ንግድ ባንክ ወይም ብርሃን ባንክ በመሄድ ሁለተኛ በተለይም በዚህ እንግዳ ጊዜ በስልካችሁ በሚገኝ ሞባይል ባንኪንግ አፕ እንድትጠቀሙ አብልጠንን መከራለን 
ከኢትዮጵያ ውጪ ላላችሁ ወገኖቻችን ደሞ በሜጀር ክሬዲት ካርድ ወይም ዴቢት ካርድ በመጠቀም bezachurch.org ድረገጽ ላይ በመሄድ መስጠት ይችላልላችሁ በመጨረሻም በቲኬ ኢንተርናሽናል ህንፃ አምስተኛ ፎቅ ላይ በሚገኘው የቤዛ ሒሳብ ክፍል በመሄድ ልትሰጡት ይችላልላችሁ በዚህ ባልተለመደ እንግዳ በሚመስል ጊዜ ሁሉን አልፋችሁ ለእግዚአብሔር ሥራ ከሌላው ጊዜ አብልጣችሁ ስለተዘረጋችሁ እግዚአብሔር ይባርካችሁ እንወዳችኋለን እግዚአብሔር ይጠብቃችሁ ፊቱንም ያብራላችሁ